Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations all across the country to translate your vision into reality. I want to take a minute and and welcome everybody back to the podcast. Wish everybody a happy new year. I hope all of you enjoyed your holidays wherever you spent them and however you chose to spend them. I want to wish everybody a happy new year. We're looking forward to an exciting new year. Uh, for all nonprofit leaders, especially us here at NTC and as, and on the Nonprofit Vision podcast, where we have a lot of exciting episodes lined up for you today. Today's episode is featuring a return guest to the podcast. Joining one of the few who have been on the podcast twice uh, is my friend and colleague, Ted Billich. Uh, Ted is the CEO of Risk Alternatives. He's going to be talking to us and talking with us about a really important topic today, which is trends in the nonprofit sector, managing your nonprofit for resilience. Just a great conversation to kick off the new year with as we start to navigate all of these uncertainties and all of the challenges and opportunities and excitement of nonprofit leadership. Ted, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, Greg, it's so glad to, I'm so glad to be here. It is it is an exciting and confusing time to be in the nonprofit sector, isn't it? It is. It is. It always is to an extent. <laughs> But I think at the at the outset of the year, especially in January each year, a lot of us are making resolutions. We're thinking about our organizations. We're thinking about our leadership and our staff and the and the folks that we are privileged to work with and work for and who work for us, um, and how and how we navigate those challenges. So I think that this is a, a particularly appropriate time to to have a conversation. I think so. Ted, you have a a new book out. Um, which is drawing rave reviews right now, and it's timely for our conversation today. The title of the book is Managing Your Nonprofit for Resilience. Tell us a little, give us a little bit about the overview. Take us behind the scenes of what led you to, re to write a book right now about resilience in the nonprofit sector. Well, Greg, you know, we've, we've sort of premised this conversation on the fact that nonprofits face challenges even in the best of times. And we also see that the last couple of years have not been the best of times. You know, whether it is uh, on the on this day when we're taping this session, you know, Congress is trying to install a, a new Speaker of the House and can't get it done. There's so much division. There's so much uncertainty. Uh, we see tech companies who are laying people off. And there's worry that that as the money comes down off of the stimulus from COVID, that people are going to be sucking wind in the sector. Well, we really believe that there are some basic steps that an organization can take in good times and bad that will improve their resilience and sustainability no matter what happens. Ted, I'm going to push on that word resilience a little bit. Um, it's a buzzword right now. We hear it a lot. We hear it on the for-profit side. We hear it on the nonprofit side. When you think about resilience, how do you define that in the book and in your in your way of approaching the topic? Well, I think of resilience basically the way the dictionary defines resilience, which is the ability to snap back and respond to events uh, that are uncertain. And uh, whether it is something internal to an organization that would inhibit the ability to serve our clientele, or whether it's something external, some shock, a mega event of some sort, those sorts of issues will come up 
That's the one thing we can say about uncertainty is that there will be some negative curveballs. There also will be some positive curveballs. And so when I think about resilience, one of my main messages throughout that book and throughout every training I've ever done is that risk is not a bad word. Risk simply means we're not godlike. So we should be looking for threats and trying to think about what we can do about those threats, the negative risks. But we should also be looking for opportunities, positive risks that would either allow us to capture uh, increased value for our customers, our clients, or reduce costs so that we can do more with less. Absolutely. Ted, I, for a long time, I, uh, I had a tough relationship with that word resilience. I heard it used over and over again as a nonprofit leader and, and, and with my nonprofit clients. And it always struck me, and I couldn't even explain why, it always struck me a little bit negatively. It felt like just absorbing a punch and surviving it, right? It felt very passive to me. What turned my relationship with that word resilience around is thinking of it as you just defined it, which is as an active opportunity, right? Resilience is not just um, taking a punch or accepting something negative that happens to our leadership or our organization and surviving it, but it's really about proactively thinking about how do I set myself up? How do I set my organization up proactively to be able to withstand the the challenges that come our way, but also be able to identify and respond to the opportunities that present themselves as well? Couldn't agree more, Greg. Imagine if Muhammad Ali had simply stood and let Joe Frazier throw punch after punch at, uh, at him. A large part of Ali's magnificent resilience was the ability to float like a butterfly and then come back and sting like a bee. Right. And so when you start thinking, I'm not trying to be passive. I'm not trying to hide under a rock or look under rocks for bad things. I'm trying to be able to be very steely eyed about what I know and what I don't know and take the next reasonable step. That would be what, you know, Ali would say. You you want to make sure that you're ready when something comes along, but you don't want to be just standing there like a lump. Great point, Ted. As we as so let's let's get a little bit more uh, granular. Let's get let's get into it. If I'm a nonprofit leader right now and I'm I'm thinking managing my nonprofit for resilience. It's January, it's the start of a brand new year. What are two or three of the first things that I could be doing or should be thinking about as a nonprofit leader moving into 2023. You know, I on that point, Greg, I go back to something I said in 2020, right before COVID took over the news cycle. At that time, I said, you know, a lot of uncertainty going on here. Three things that you can do that that will set you up better than you would be if you don't do them. The first one is do a risk inventory. All that means is get your team together to think about each area of the nonprofit and what are the threats in that area and what are the opportunities. So that's the first thing, because until you know where you stand, it's really hard to say we're going to take that mountain or that mountain. Until you have a sense of your capacities, you can't really with confidence predict any sort of strategic success. That's step one. 
Step two is that there are always going to be things that come up that you don't see in an inventory because we're not perfect. So step, step two is let's get a, a business continuity plan together. By that, I don't mean a 75-page thing that has three or four appendices. I mean an eight to 10-page document that says what you want to do in the first hour of an event, the first day of an event, the first two weeks of an event, regardless of what the event is, whether it's a busted pipe that ruins your, your computer system, or God forbid someone locks you out of your computer system, or there's you know an active shooter. Within the first hour, you probably want everyone to know what's going on. Within the first day, you probably want to have brought your board together at least by phone to talk about things. And then by the, you know, the end of the first or second week, you should be well on the, the path of some sort of response and recovery plan. So the second thing is business continuity. And then the third thing, Greg, and I want your feedback on this too, because I know how much you think about this. The third thing is maybe in times of great uncertainty, strategic planning is going to be challenging. But... That doesn't mean you can't scenario plan. In fact, it means scenario planning becomes even more important. Think about things that could happen and then think about what you'd want to be prepared to do if they do and what you should do now if you want to be prepared in case something goes on. But I want to hear you, especially on that third point. You know? I'm going to start right there. I, want, I have, I have follow-up questions for you on the first two, but I'm going to start right where, you, right where you left off there on the scenario planning. Sometimes we use that term, just like I talked about the relationship with the word resilience. We think about strategic planning and we, we immediately draw a box, right? We think about you know, three-year plan with goals, with objectives, with strategies and action steps. And that's wonderful. And in good times and in times of stability, that's absolutely needed for an organization. But we've seen over the past three years with COVID, with other challenges, that sometimes the landscape doesn't present us with the opportunity to have such a thoughtful and methodical approach. Sometimes we have to, as you say, scenario plan or action plan or take a much more focused view and say, you know what, we don't have the luxury of thinking about three years right now. We need to think about the next six months or the next 12 months. That doesn't mean that strategic planning is not important. That doesn't mean that strategic planning goes out the window. It just means that it's morphed into something different that is more vital for the organization today. Just. I could, I could not agree more about that. I mean, of course, of course, an organization needs a strategic plan. It needs to have a vision about what mountains it wishes to plant its flag on. It always should have that. And of course, it needs its mission and values that, that, that help guide it along the path. But if you don't have some form of orienteering and you don't have some way of saying, huh, what if this happens or what if that happens? Well, you're just not going to be as safe for your constituents, you're not going to be as good of a steward in your stewardship obligation. It's interesting. Sometimes scenario planning or action planning is painted as in conflict with strategic planning. And in reality, if you have a thoughtful approach in your organization, whatever that may be to strategic planning, you know, how your organization goes about planning for the next two to three years of the organization, that process can still serve you very well if you need to adapt it to a shorter time period. You're not reinventing the wheel. It's not like action planning has one um, approach or one right. you know 
process that you have to follow and, and strategic planning as something different. It's really the same idea or the same approach, just ta tailored to a different challenge or tailored to a different window or horizon. Yeah, no, I think that's right, Greg. And, you know, going back upon, uh, to something you've touched on twice, that that feeling of of some worry about the word resilience. Yeah. The one that gets me, and I think Vuli did such a good job of unpacking this one, is how sustainability was used in the industry for about a decade and a half to, to really mean uh, you need to find other ways to get money nonprofit because the big funders aren't going to keep writing the checks. And if you think about sustainability in that way, well, then, yes, it sounds like what we're saying is you have to get out and transform yourself into some sort of for-profit or semi-for-profit organization to raise revenues when not every nonprofit can do something that has a revenue-juicing model. So I- Absolutely uh, right. I'm going to shift to the, the first point that you made or the first yeah. uh, action step that nonprofit leaders can be taking to manage for resilience right now. And that is a risk inventory. What I love about your risk, your model or your idea of a risk inventory, and I want you to comment on it if you don't mind, is in the inclusion of opportunities in there. If I, I would hazard to say, and certainly, you know, when I was a nonprofit leader, if someone came to me and said, Greg, it's time for you to do a risk inventory, maybe it's the way I'm wired. Maybe it's the way the profession <laughs> wires us, but my head goes to the negative, right? My head goes to burst pipe, lost staff board disengagement, some sort of something happens negatively to the organization. Your idea of a risk inventory is also about opportunities, meaning what could we do if we had the will, the resources, and we understood the risk and our tolerance and ability to accept that risk? So I'm, I'm curious, and I'd love to hear you comment on why you include opportunities when thinking about a risk inventory. Well, it's really interesting, Greg. You know, 20 years ago, I think you were, your your prior view of risk was certainly the, you know, it was the canon on risk management. Risk management is about dealing with bad things before they become catastrophes. In response to uh, a number of different forces during the, the 2000s and early 2010s, there was a real shift toward this notion that risk has to be viewed as simply something bigger. It just means uncertainty. And then as a matter of logic, people started saying, well, if that's the case, then a risk inventory or, or a risk management process can't just be focused on the bad. And and I strongly endorse that approach. It, it, I do it for a couple of reasons. First of all, it is logically accurate to me, and that it, it always helps when something makes sense to me. Um, but the second reason I do it is that that because so many people associate risk with bad and risk with worry. Um, Beginning to explore risk management and resilience through a risk management lens can sound very threatening 
to people in a nonprofit. When you open up to the notion that that this is not just looking for bad things, it's also looking for ways that we can fix processes that are suboptimal or do wholly new things, then all of a sudden, the what's in it for them of your team when you're doing a risk inventory becomes very different. It's, it's finally their chance to be able to say, oh my gosh, we've been doing this process this way for so many years, and if we just did it this way, we would serve so many more people. And all the sudden, people are leaning forward. They're leaning into that risk conversation, that resilience conversation, in a way that risk painted as a mere negative cannot possibly uh, get you know that sort of action going. I think the deeper you get into nonprofit leadership, you realize the connections and the linkages out there. So when you think about a risk inventory of opportunities and, and negative consequences that could occur, um, it also links back to your strategy and your strategic plan. So as you think about each year, what is our risk tolerance as an organization? That requires that you be connected to your landscape. You be connected to your ecosystem of your organization, of what's going on around you. How are our finances? What is the strength of our board? How are our staff? How are our um, customers? How do they feel about us? That connection to your landscape is vital to determine what is our risk tolerance today? Because it may be different than it was six months ago, and it will likely be different than it is six months from now. Absolutely. And I would venture a guess. It's a guess based on substantial research, but I've not asked this precise question. Um, I would venture a guess that if a nonprofit board is having a sophisticated, open discussion of risk tolerance, that would put them in the top one to three percent of all nonprofits. That is not a slam on those 97% that are not doing that. It's simply a recognition that so much of the nonprofit business model does tend to be reactive that people don't give enough headspace to allow for discussions of risk tolerance and risk appetite and what risks we actually face. Let's move to the second item that you mentioned, which is business continuity. And I want to draw a distinction for our listeners between business continuity and succession planning, right? Yes. When I think of, and you can correct me if, if you think of it differently, when I think of succession planning, I think of a long-term thoughtful approach to how we are going to replace key leadership positions within the organization, right? Right. I'm the CEO of the organization. I know I'm not going to be the CEO forever. So I want to think through as an organization, how are we going to approach succession in a thoughtful, longer term way when we have the, the need to do so? Business continuity, I think of in a much shorter snapshot. Something has happened in the organization. Some internal or external event has happened that, as you said, we have to be able to respond to. We all think of the, you know, the classic example of Jane is the CEO, something God forbid happens to Jane and, you know, John has to be prepared to step in and he knows that he is the, you know, like the TV show designated survivor, right? right. That's how we tend to think about business continuity. But you're right, it's broader than that. It's about various scenarios that we may find ourselves in and do we have clarity around how would we respond in what time frame, what steps need to be taken, and who speaks for the organization during times of difficulty. 
Exactly right. And so your your business continuity plan would have something about how you get in touch with critical staff so that they know what uh, what is going on. The tangible um, takeaway for our nonprofit leaders listening right now is do you have at ready access access to your contact information for all of your essential staff members and all of your board members and if you're a organization that relies on volunteers your vo key volunteers as well. And and as they're doing that, Greg, one of the things they might think about is what's your belt and suspenders there? Yes, you have the cell phones, but what if the cell phones are down? What is, what is your alternative? Do you have a Facebook group or a, or do you have everyone say, we'll have a Facebook uh, account, even if you don't like Facebook, so that in an emergency, you can just use the Facebook check-in? Or can you have a Twitter account with a hashtag that people that people can, uh, can just tweet saying, I'm okay, or something like that? So, so what's your belt? What's your suspenders? Another thing, as you said, was, you know, um, do you have the board chair participate in getting this information out to the board? And if so, does she know that she's supposed to be doing that? Um, you could also have elements of that uh, business continuity plan that would go into things like, who are the emergency contacts that we could foresee in almost any emergency needing to reach out to? Who are our insurance brokerages or insurance companies? And what are our policy numbers? So that in the event we need to talk to them, we actually can refer to the policy. Um, you know police fire and rescue but not just police fire and rescue what's our lawyer and what's what's her number and how do we get in contact with her and and things like that because whether it's a burst pipe or god forbid someone comes down with covid or there's an active shooter chances are you're going to want some of those links uh in in an emergency absolutely so ted i think it's it's safe to say that in this business continuity, we're trying to answer as many questions ahead of time when we have the luxury of being able to think through it and have fewer things that we have to figure out at the time of a crisis or at the time of an incident, right? That's right. Thinking about not only do we have everybody's phone number, but what does that communication plan look like? Is it the executive director making phone calls? Is there a delegate who is responsible for staff calls versus board calls? Thinking through what that picture looks like in the event an incident occurs. That is exactly right. And again, shorter is better. You know, when we when we advise uh, organizations, we say if it's more than 10 pages, it's probably too long. Now, I, I've seen some that come back with 12 or 14 pages, but but if it's 75 pages, it's going to be really hard to implement in an emergency. You know, I, I, I go back to when the Exxon Valdez crashed, there was a 1000 page manual for response. You know, how many of us really believe that that manual was cracked past the first couple of pages? We know uh, that, it, that it wasn't. We know the disaster that can happen when you have analysis paralysis. Instead, let's keep it short. Let's get some defined roles. Let's figure out the essential information, what we convey to our stakeholders, including our clients and our, and, and our funders. What do we do in the first hour, the first day, the first week, and so on? I want to challenge our nonprofit leaders also, you know, back to that linkage with strategy and, and thinking through longer term issues. This is not something you have to carry on your shoulders yourself. 
this is an opportunity to involve board, to involve staff members in helping to craft the plan because we own what we help create, right? This is not something that we expect our executive director to go behind closed doors and magically uh, arrive two hours later with a 10-page document and a 10-page plan, because just like strategy, we don't want this plan to sit on a shelf in the executive's office. We want everybody to be aware of, to be involved in, and to be engaged in exactly what happens in the event of an incident. That's exactly right, Greg. And you know, one thing we could do for your uh, listeners is we have a very simple template. Uh, I could send the show notes so that if someone wants to say, all right, Billich, put up or shut up, you talk about having it being seven to 10 pages, show me how I can keep this that short. It would be something that you would be able to give them to make sure that, that, it, uh, that they can do it on their own. I think that'd be great, Ted. I'd be happy to include that in the, uh, in the show notes. Um, as we wrap up, uh, just some parting words that you'd like to share with nonprofit leaders. Um, again, your book, Managing Your Nonprofit for Resilience. Any parting words that you'd like to share with our nonprofit leaders as they embark on 2023? Well, Greg, I know you know this. You know, I say that if you have a strategic plan and you don't have risk management, you just have a strategic hope. The core thing there, though, is that to begin that journey of awareness and resilience, it does not take time. It does not take money. It, all it takes is for someone to say, oh, we're actually going to be pretty radically candid and figure out what's going on and then take the next reasonable step. Absolutely. Ted, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us today. For those who want to get a hold of the book, managing your nonprofit for resilience or want to get in touch with you directly? What is the best way that folks can do each of those things? Uh, I am available at Ted Billich at RiskAlts. That's T-E-D-B-I-L-I-C-H at RiskAlts, R-I-S-K-A-L-T-S dot com. And if they went to RiskAlts.com, our website, they would see an easy link as to how to find the book on Amazon and a number of other vendors. Excellent. Ted, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. For all our nonprofit listeners out there, thank you. Thank you for being part of our community. Thank you for all that you do in your community. And we look forward to an exciting 2023 ahead. For those who want to reach out to me directly, you can always find me on my website at nielsenconsults.com or connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. We look forward to an exciting 2023. Stay safe and stay well.